What do you do when you pray and all you hear is silence? We're going to talk about that next on this week's edition of the Monday Christian Podcast. listening to the Monday Christian Podcast, the program dedicated to helping you put into action the truth of God's Word that you hear on Sunday to your everyday life on Monday. And now, here's your host, Ezra Beyer. Well, hey there, welcome to another edition of the Monday Christian Podcast, and I'm so glad that you've taken some time out of your day to give this a listen. Uh, for those of you that might not know, uh, one of the things that I am passionate about is writing. And so this coming February 2021, uh, launching a brand new book called Walking with a Limp. It'll be available on Amazon, also the MondayChristian.com if you'd like to get a few bulk packages. Um, and basically, the basic premise of the book is it, I share a little bit of a story of um, not only some of the battles that I face with things like depression, um, but I really share that in the midst of some of the deepest battles that we face, how God is working, and that oftentimes we try to move quickly through those times of hardship and say, okay, God, uh, give me what's next, when actually God is wanting to do something in our lives in the midst of our pain and heartache. And so if you're someone that maybe 2020 was pretty tough on, and you've just been struggling with fear, doubt, worry a little bit, and um, you're just looking for a book that will not only encourage you, but maybe give you some perspective at where you're at in your journey, uh, I think this would be a great pickup. So it'll be available uh, mid-February uh, 2021. So with that said, um, I'm bringing on my friend Sharnika Elliott today. And Sharnika actually had her on a number of uh, months ago when we did a panel on our podcast of, of six different people who had different political views in the United States. And Sharnika was one of the guests on the podcast at that time. And uh, so she just had a great perspective, and um, Sharnika just has has a wealth of knowledge, not only in the education field, but also she has a personal story that I'd like you to hear. And so we're going to get into all of that and a lot more on this week's edition of the Monday Christian Podcast. And so go ahead, take a listen. Here we go. Sharnika, it's uh, good to have you. You were on my program a couple of weeks ago, but welcome back. Thank you. I'm glad to be back, and I appreciate you inviting me. <laughs> yeah, ab absolutely. And Sharnika, she's the founder of Noah Christian uh, Community Center, uh, Noah Christian Academy, as well in in uh, the town of Roanoke, Virginia. I was there in that area for a couple of years and got to know Sharnika a little bit, and uh, she's written a book uh, uh, recently, and it's called Silence of the Womb, From Pain to Promise. And after taking a read, I thought, man, Sharnika, I, I really want to bring you on and share on this. So thanks for taking some time. Well, thank you for having me and for um, reading the book. I pray it was a blessing to your spirit because that was my prayer for everyone who reads it to get some type of encouragement from it. Yeah, well, it's very <laughs> encouraging. And, you know, I think during this time, during the COVID year uh a lot of people are going through pain and 
lots lots of heartache. Um, I've just I just read a stat the other day in in Canada, being Canadian, uh, from the Toronto right. Star, I think it was, and they said one out of ten Cana- Canadians has um, contemplated suicide in the last year. And, wow, um, a very very high number, and there's been an, a lot of talk of that in the U.S. as well. You have a very interesting story. Uh, not only your personal faith journey, but something that dates back to, I think it's 2003. Uh-huh. Um, tell us about that time in your life that you went through, and and we'll just kind of walk through that journey. Okay. Um, and just interject whenever you want to. Um, yeah, absolutely. You know, come in with questions. But yeah, 2003, um, I lost my first son, Noah. So my husband and I had been married five years. Um, we were ready to get pregnant and, you know, start a family. Of course, we had a little bit of trouble in the beginning, wasn't sure um, with uh, if we were going to have to go through different measures in vitro fertilization or anything like that. But God worked a miracle with us. And I was pregnant and didn't even know it. Um, we were so excited. First grandchild on both sides of the family. And everything appeared to be going well. Partway through the pregnancy, I was having a couple of complications, but nothing that alarmed doctors. They thought, you know, it's the first time pregnancy, sometimes things happen. Um, The 4th of July that year, um, I had this experience that really felt like I felt something leave my body. And I talk about it in the book. And I just broke down and I cried. And I was like, what is this? And, you know, a, a fear came over me. And um, I knew I was going to the doctor in a few days. So my husband and I went and we purchased a baby monitor from Target. And um, we were hopeful that um, all was well. We heard a heartbeat that we thought was his. um, And we later found out that it wasn't, that it was mine. So on July the 8th was my appointment. And we went to the doctor. I had been having contractions and I was 38 weeks gestation, which was two weeks before my due date. So I could deliver. Some people deliver, you know, within 38 to 42 weeks, um, either the four, the pregnancy is a 40 week um, process. But we went for my 38 week checkup and um, my doctor checked me and she was I was having contractions. She was like, you haven't dilated yet, but we're excited. It's coming. And, you know, a part of me was kind of nervous because I was telling her I didn't. Um, my experience that I had. And I, to my knowledge, I was still feeling him move. Um, and I know that's probably hard for you as a man to um, relate, but I know you're a father, so I'm sure yeah. you, you know, had with your wife been feeling the baby move around. But to, I was feeling some type of movement, but I believe it was just all the contractions and things that I was having. And you so this was, I, this was your first one again. Was that, that right? Yes, this was my first that, pregnancy. And there's so many different thoughts that go through your mind in the first one, isn't there? Yes, so many different thoughts. So um, she couldn't find a heartbeat when she checked me there on a the table. So she was like, well, he's kind of big and maybe he's tight in there. He may have his back turned. Sometimes it's hard to get it. She was like, let's go and do an ultrasound. And when we went to do the ultrasound, I immediately saw the change in her disposition and I knew something was wrong. And it was like she just turned pale white and she just was like, oh, my gosh, like, I'm so sorry. She was like, Noah has died. Like, literally, that's what she said. And she knew his name. I had gotten very close with my doctor. You know, we had developed a relationship, um, which I tend to do with most people that I meet. Um, And it was hard. It was um, to hear those words, it was like I was living outside of my body. Um, it was like I heard him, but I didn't. 
And I just couldn't believe, you know, you know, my son is gone. So, you know, that hit hard. This is your first child. You're excited. This is your baby. You're waiting. I'm going to the doctor having contractions, hoping that I'm going to be planning for a delivery to be bringing my child home soon. But instead, I am hearing, you know, that he's now deceased. And so um, I didn't know what to do with that. I really didn't. I didn't know how to respond. I think I went into shock for a minute. Um, and then I know I just started crying. You like, no, God, you know, like, how could this happen to me? You know, like, what did I do? You know, like what what you immediately start thinking of those things. And um, she, you know, was very gracious with me um, and was crying herself because she just didn't know. You know, it was just so unexpected. And so I went to deliver. Um, They immediately took me over to induce me. And I just the whole time I was numb. Um, I was still praying, though. I, at that mo- at that time in my life, I had um, sown a seed, financial seed, and I had prayed probably about a year prior to that, just asking God to increase my faith. I have to be very careful what we pray for. Yeah. Um, and I was asking him to increase my faith. And I grew so close to the Lord in such a quick time. I remember my aunt saying, you have spiritually matured so fast. Mm -hmm. And um, she was like, your relationship with God and just, you know, the spirituality about it. She was like, it's so admirable. And I needed that. I needed that to get through what I was about to face. Mm -hmm. And um, I was still praying. I was like, God, life and death is in your hands. You can work a miracle. Mm -hmm. You know, I was still praying, breathe life into him. I was hopeful. But unfortunately, that's not what happened. And so, you know, the it was a lot of silence in the room. Um, and the only sound you did hear was the cries yeah. of myself and my husband, my mom, who was in the room and my doctor mm-hmm. and the nurses. So it was devastating. Um, we were still hopeful. We um, my husband was, you know, strong in the word, too, and faithful. And um, it was rough for us. And but each day is different. Some days are better than others. And we decided that, you know, we'll try again. And it was difficult for us to get pregnant with Noah. So my nurse, the doctor's nurse, she was like, you know, after you have a baby, it's really easy to get pregnant again. She was like, so, you know, maybe if you feel okay, maybe you can try. And I was 27 years old at the time. Um, And so we didn't do anything to prevent it. And it did happen pretty fast. And so in October of that year, I found out I was pregnant with my second child. And um, we did everything that we could possibly do to make sure that he was okay. Um, They put me at high risk, of course, because I had a prior stillbirth. And um, I took a leave of absence from teaching um, in January of 2004. I took a leave of absence and I was like, I'm gonna put myself on bed rest. And my doctor was fine with it. You know, she wrote a note for the school. She was saying it wasn't necessary. But my principal and everybody was so supportive because they were, you know, heartbroken as well. And so I um, went and checked in, you know, on the school and on the students. I had a long term sub in my room, but everything seemed to be going fine. I was having lots of tests done throughout the week. I was having as I got closer to the end of my pregnancy. I was having twice a week appointments. They were doing biophysical profiles and not just 
um, ultrasounds that get a little more in depth with biophysical profiles, you know, looking at the umbilical cord and the blood flow and different things. Um, Noah did have a clot in his cord. Unfortunately, um, there's a lot more to the story that I did not include in my book, and I'm careful about what I share um, just for legal issues. But uh, my doctor was pregnant and um, she delivered on May um, 14th of that year. And so she told me she was going to schedule me for an induction on May the 21st because she wanted to make sure I was on the books. She referred me to another doctor who was in the office and that doctor canceled my appointment. And um, there were some things said to me that were not kind. Um, I wasn't comfortable with her at all. I immediately requested another physician and they were like, oh, she's the best here. You know, we really would like for you to be with her because of your you know, prior stillbirth. And I was called a paranoid mother. I was told that the same thing wouldn't happen twice. Um, I pleaded with her several times to keep my induction date because I said in my heart, I felt like he wasn't going to make it. You know, I just kept saying, please don't let me go past May 25th. Mm -hmm. And because that was pushing me past the 38 week mark. And I remember in my last checkup, the nurse was saying how he was so cramped and tight. And she was saying, there's no room. He needs to come out because I was really tiny. Um, and I just was like, please take him. And she didn't. And she refused to um, to induce me. I went to the hospital on May the 23rd, having contractions at church. And she was the doctor on call. And she still sent me home. And two days later, he died. And wow. so Christian passed in the womb. Wow. And at that moment, I wanted to die. And I had different emotions. Because with Noah, it was like truly a surprise. You know, like it's your first child. You really didn't have any signs to show anything. But with Christian, you know, I'd gone to the hospital. I had non-reactive NST strips um, where his heart rate was dropping several times. Um, you know, I'm having contractions. I'm at that almost at that 38 week mark. I had a prior stillbirth. It, it, take the baby. Yeah. You know, it was just to me, it was like playing Russian roulette with his life. Yeah. And so um, I had not just sadness, but I had a lot of anger. Yes. Um, because I felt like it could have been prevented. And so um, at that moment, I think I passed out. I believe it's what they told me. Um, I felt him that night on the 24th. But when I woke up on the 25th, I did not feel any fetal movement. And I knew, I mean, I was counting my kick counts. You know, I had really educated myself on stillbirth and just everything after Noah passed. I was on top of it. When I went to my doctor's appointments, I had a notebook. I would write down everything the doctors told me. I had the dates. Like I was very detailed. I'm a very organized person anyway. But I was very detailed about it. So I wanted to make sure I did everything in my power to make him safe and to make sure that he was here. And um, he that did not happen. And so, you know, my husband and I, it was like the punch in the gut. It was like somebody took their hand and just ripped it out of my heart, you know, ripped my heart out. Mm -hmm. And I, I did pass out. I remember I woke up. They had me laying in a room. And when I woke up, my mom was there and I can just see her face and I can see like so many different. She didn't even have to say anything. I can see that she had so many different emotions going on and questions. 
And they asked me if I wanted to go home. And I was like, no, I'm not going home with a dead child in my stomach. <laughs> like, you really want to torture me, right? So I told them to take me, you know, straight over to deliver. And that's what they did. That doctor did not deliver. I did not see her anymore after that. They knew, I think, the entire um, nursing staff and physicians at that time. It was not a secret that we were enforcing to be delivered. Um, so I think everybody was there, knew. Was there any response where they, they, they showed, you know, that they were wrong? Or not from there... her. Not yeah, from her. Yeah. yeah. Not yeah. from her, but from other physicians that were there, yes. And um, that, that's about the, the, the hardest yeah. pain that I can imagine yeah. right there because it's not yeah. just pain where you're all in it together. There's pain and there's anger that this shouldn't have happened. Yeah. And, yeah, it was rough. And um, yeah. I did have to see her to be released from the hospital because she was the actual um, doctor overseeing me at the time. And a part of me <laughs> wanted to take my hands and choke her around her neck. Like, I really, I'm just being honest. Yeah. Like, that, yeah. I could that I could envision myself doing that. But I didn't. I just was calm. And, you know, I asked to go home. I had Christian. Um, they induced me just like they did with Noah. I did have a, an experience. I don't know if you want me to go into in detail about that, but I think I transitioned to, was heading out of here. Um, mm -hmm. They lost me for a minute and mm -hmm. I did have an experience and um, I had prayed. So my prayer shifted. So with Noah, you know, I was praying, you know, God give me the strength to get through this. God, I know that you can breathe life in him. You know, you yeah. can do it. Yeah. You know, you are a miracle working God. I've been praying for you to increase my faith. This is going to be that thing that you're going to do. You know, you're going to resurrect my child. You know, I was just thinking, you know, big radical faith. I had it. Well, but and that's it. Like, can I just pause right there? Mm -hmm. That, that seems to me to be a very, very normal response mm -hmm. that people have when they believe that they know how God should respond. And yep. they expect him to respond. And I've had that same thing for a totally different situation, but where mm -hmm. I've said, okay, God is going to come through here. I mean, I even see it now, even yep. related to political stuff, whatever. God is going to come through here. And God is going to right. do this or that, right? And and I know because he's a miracle-working God. And then all of a sudden when it doesn't, like, how did you respond to that? Like, what? what how did your faith respond to that? Well, I still trusted him because I know that he's able so I knew even if he didn't, he was able to do it because I know that sometimes we want things to be a certain way, but God can go before us. And he well, not. He can. He has already. He knows what lie ahead, what lies ahead. And we don't. And so I knew I had to still trust him. But when Christian passed, my my prayer changed and I asked God, I said, take my life for his or take, you know, or give him my life was my first prayer. Like, take me and let him live. And I think that's a natural response for any parent, you know, in any situation, if your mm -hmm. child is in danger, you know, if you feel like it's you or your child, you're saying, let my child live and, and take yeah. me. That was my prayer. I was praying it constantly. God, let me, let him live. Take me, take me, God, let him live. You know, he's just a baby. He's innocent, mm -hmm. you know? And if you can't, if you don't want to take, you know, give him my life, then take us both. Let me be with both of my boys. And that was my prayer. And I knew God could do it. You know, I just the way I believed with Noah, how he could breathe life. I knew that, like you know, God is in control. You know, life and death is in his hands. 
And, you know, the Bible says the number of our days um, shall be fulfilled. So I was like, well, maybe my days are over because I can't do this. You know, I really was like, I can't do it. I was like, God, there's no way I can survive this. You would have to do something supernatural. And he did. He didn't do what I wanted, which was to resurrect my child or to let me die. But he gave me greater. He gave me his strength. And, you know, the Apostle Paul shares how God in um, Corinthians, my grace is sufficient for thee. My strength is made perfect in weakness. And God let me see his supernatural strength because there is no way that I could have stayed sane of my own self after what I endured. Even with the delivery process, it was torture. And I didn't put all the details in the book just for the sake of time. And, you know, I prayed and asked God to tell me what to put, you know, when you're doing things like this, you can share those, you know, details as the Lord leads. But it was devastating because when Noah died and they, you know, they take you to postpartum after you have a baby, you know, that's where you go. You're in labor and delivery and you go to postpartum. When Noah passed, they willed me. And I don't think they did it intentionally. I just don't think they were thinking, but they willed me past the nursery to get to my room. Yeah. Okay, my baby is dead. Yeah. I don't want to see lively kicking babies. Yeah. So that was torture for me. So after I had Christian, and actually when I was in the room preparing, I was in labor, there was a lady in the room behind me and she was delivering. She was giving birth. You could hear the whole process. Hmm. You could hear her, you could hear the heart beating on the monitor, you can hear her family. You can hear them cheering and the baby crying. And it was just torture for me because I knew that when I started to push that I was not going to hear that cry, that I was going to hear that same silence. And so a part of me, you know, I was happy for her. Never would wish anything that I went through on any woman, any person. But it was crushing because I'm like, I'm not going to feel that. So I told them I was going home. After I had him, I'm like, I'm not going to postpartum. I'm not going anywhere else in this hospital. I'm going home. And they were like, but you just had a baby. And I was like, I'm going home. You can discharge me or I will walk out myself, but I'm going home. And so they did. Um, They discharged me. And that's when I had to see that doctor again. She was very rude. Um, She just asked me, did I need any depression medicine or pain medicine? That was pretty much what she said. She never once said, I'm sorry this happened. Are you okay? You know, I wasn't saying admit to guilt, but you could at least show some kind of compassion or empathy. And she didn't. And um, I was like, no, send me home. Like I was just as straight as I am now. Send me home. And it was the the only thing that kept me was God. So Mm -hmm. constantly throughout that entire time, he let me see that he's real because of how my demeanor was, how I was able to get through delivering another lifeless child, how I was able to have strength and even extend grace to a person who has been nothing but mean to me and evil. It's it's interesting that 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 seems to be a a repetitive theme when I interview different people that at their lowest points, they, they sense the supernatural sense of God's strength, and they know, like in your your case, <laughs> you were ready to <laughs> put yeah. the doctor in a choke a chokehold. Yeah, you know, I was. was the way the way the way you would uh, yeah. responded. Um, yeah. But yet, and and that becomes 
one of the greatest testimonies to mm-hmm. the power of God in our lives. Mm-hmm. And and but like in the midst of all that, are, were did you have struggles with okay, um, like is God good anymore? Does God because for the person that maybe is a skeptic and they're watching this, they're saying okay, well yeah, God, so God allowed your baby to die so that he could teach you more about himself like what kind of god does that well right how do you respond to that i never questioned god um i think my husband did a little um i never questioned god and i think it's because the two the experience that i had before i had christian like i knew like i they I told them that I felt sick. I told my mom, I said, mom, I don't feel well. Like I'm leaving here. Like something's not, you know, I was like, and sh- she was like, oh, I think you're going to be okay. But she was watching me because she knows if I say, you know, I have a high pain tolerance. Mm-hmm. Um, So if I say something's wrong with me, I'm usually pretty tough. Then that means something. You better be alert and pay attention. And the, um, the anesthesiologist was actually in the room at the time because they were prepping to give me an epidural because I was just suffering through it. You know, right. I, I think God has he's done so much for me and in, in strengthening me in many ways, you know, naturally and spiritually. But I was like, I'll be OK because I don't like taking medication. And they was like, well, we want to try and give you an epidural. And it didn't take it all with Noah. So I was like, it's not going to work. But they wanted to try because I was in so much pain and they wanted to ease me. So I wouldn't be mm-hmm. in, you know, so much physical pain with everything else that was going on emotionally and mentally. And so I understood. Um, but they, one of the nurses had put pain meds in my IV when I asked her not to. And like I said, sometimes, you know, they think they you know, people think they know better. They think they know what's best for you, but I don't take pain meds well and it always affects my heart. Um, and I asked her, I said, I don't feel right. Did you put something in my IV? And she was like, oh, just relax, you know, try and go to sleep, take a nap. And it wasn't long after when the anesthesiologist was coming in and that's when they set me up. And, um, my mom said, the last thing I said was, I don't feel well. And then I, you know, collapsed. And at that time I had an experience to where I was literally traveling and it's hard to explain it. If probably if I could draw a picture of it. You you allude to this a little bit in the book, right? Like, yes, I I saw this part. Yeah. 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 It was like I was traveling and it Mm -hmm. was, um, it was almost like I was in a tunnel, but different. It was like I was traveling and it seemed like I was going so fast, but yet so slow. Mm -hmm. And, um, I could see like a light, but colors more than just a light, but colors. And as the the faster I was going and the closer I was getting up, I felt nothing but peace over me, like a peace and a calm and just, you know, just I can't explain it. It's so hard to put into words. Mm -hmm. And I was like, thank you, God, the whole way up. Yes. You know, I was like, he's taking me with him. Like I was just so elated that he was taking me with him. He was rescuing me from all of this mental, horrible, you know, torture, what I was going through. I'm going to see my sons. I'm going to glory. I'm going to be with God. I'm going to be in the best place I could be. And I really felt that. And I'm sure it was all, I think my mom said it was, you know, like it wasn't like minutes, 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 minutes drug out. But um, it was a, you know, a good while. But um, then all of a sudden it was like a shh like a vacuum, like something sucked me right back down and it was quick. And I heard the doctor say, we got her back. 
And that's all. I was still not conscious. My eyes was closed and everything, but I could hear. And I heard him say, we got her back. And at that moment, my inner self was like, God, what did you do? Like, I'm back. Like, what, 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 what? And as I opened my eyes, I remember seeing my mom standing there. She was just like in complete fright. They had my husband in restraints, like they were holding him because he had gone home. He was going to get our bag for Christian and myself that we had had packed. So he was going to get the bag because they told him that they were going to get me rested and settled and, you know, give me an epidural and he could leave and come back. And when he came back, he comes into the room where his wife has gone too. So not only has it, you know, he lost his son, but he's, it has appears that he's lost his wife as well. And so there was nothing they could do. They was just holding him. And so after I saw that, I knew that my family couldn't handle me and Christian being gone. And at that moment, it was like, I just felt I have greater work for you. Like I really heard that. So I never questioned mm. the goodness of God because I knew that I experienced him. And I knew it was like, that was me knowing that he loved me and that he was with me and that, you know, I know where my children are and I know that God is real because of that experience. And I think that's what helped me to still understand that he's good. You know, I don't, God doesn't send the trouble. I don't believe, but he can allow the trouble. Um, you know, he allows things sometimes to happen. He's God. He's the ruler. He's the king of the universe. He can do anything, but he allows it and it grows us and it strengthens us. He's with us through the trouble. He's with us through the storm. You know, Jesus said in this life, you will have tribulation. So if you are a believer, you can't think that you are exempt from trial and tribulation. The Bible says if rain falls on the just and the unjust. So that means even those who are not in Christ, they're going to have tribulation. We live in a world of sin. We live in a world where there's destruction, where there's disease and sickness. But he said, but be of good cheer because I have overcome the world. So he prepares you to tell you you're going to have tribulation. He had it. Right. So no servant is greater than their master. He's the master and he suffered. So we're going to suffer. Hmm. But Romans 8. 18 says that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory that shall be revealed in us. And that was one of the scriptures that I stuck by the entire time next to Romans 8:37, which is nay in all these things. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And so I knew God's glory is going to be revealed. And so I just had to draw closer to him. And um, it was hard because then I questioned myself and I was like, God, is there something wrong with me? You know, did I do something, you know, to deserve this? Like, what, what is it that you require of me? And it took me a while to understand that God doesn't work that way. You know, he doesn't punish us like that. He's a loving God. Yeah. Um, yeah. I heard one of my friends say, you know, they, they realize yeah. that God is not a vindictive God. Mm -mm. And I think mm -mm. a lot of people going through pain, do go through that that time of wondering, okay, does yeah. God, is God a vindictive God? Does God, because, you know, if I were a parent and, I, and I'm a parent, I don't allow my kids to run out on the street and get hit by a car. I, right. I protect them from that. And right. it's very hard to reconcile that, that sometimes, isn't it? Yep. It is. It is hard. And, but I know that God loves us. And, you know, yeah. and you have to go back to, 
John 3, 16, you know, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believed in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. I had to start focusing on that. God, you sacrificed your son for me. Yep. So, you know, if I have to sacrifice my son, then who am I? You know, just like Job, naked I come into this world, naked I leave. Like, I really had to study and put my face in those type of scriptures. Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Yeah. You know, like I really had to draw closer to him instead of away from him. And I know a lot of times when people go through trials and tribulations, sometimes they fall away from God and it creates a wedge in their faith. But for me, it did the total opposite. It was like, mm -hmm. I just wanted to be closer and closer and closer to him. And I think, you know, too, the more I look back on it and talk about it, it was that experience I had. I cannot explain to you what it felt like. But I'm like, if this is what it's like to be in your presence, I want to stay here as much as I can. And so that's why, you know, I was constantly praying and reading. I would lay on the floor in the nursery, sometimes for hours. And I would just be listening to like worship music. And I would just be praying. Sometimes I would just be in silence. Sometimes I would be crying and just travailing. And I felt like, you know, I was in the refining period. I felt like God was, you know, showing me so many things about him, but also so many things about myself and so many things about his kingdom and so many things that I can do to draw others to him. So I had to not um, wallow in the why me stage because I knew just from my knowledge, from studying, from you know, if life experience, that that would just make me a victim and that would lead me into a deeper depression. So I had to start saying, why not me? And I had to start thinking about other people who have gone through horrible situations, some far worse than mine, not undermining what I went through, but just saying some people have lost their entire family you know, not just their children, you know, car accidents, you know, horrible natural disasters, fires, yeah. you know, just so many different things. And so I started to think of all the good and I started to thank God that he allowed me to carry them, that he allowed me to experience pregnancy, that he allowed me to feel life in my inside of me so that I knew that God was real. There's life in me. Mm -hmm. Only God could do that. And so when I started to do that, that's when my healing really started to take place. You know, it's interesting. We were talking offline before this and, you know, there's a lot going on in the news where, you know, people are upset because of this or that, you know, and, and some of it is good. We have to fight. We have to stand up for what's right. And, and, and I'm, I'm for that. But what was interesting, um, so let's just take take this example. Um, I had you on several months ago, and we talked about just before the election, right? And we talked uh -huh. about just different, different, different things. And um, a couple of weeks after that, everything, of course, was still, you know, especially in the U.S., people were kind of up in arms, and you know, well, either they're excited or they're frustrated and depressed. You know, God did answer my prayer, or God didn't answer my prayer, depending on how you wanted the outcome to go. And right. in the midst of that, um, um, one of my friends just uh, she's going through a cancer uh, journey right now, and she's posted uh, several things online, um, and just really a powerful um, testimony she she was just sharing today. Well, you know uh, uh, Jeff Keaton, um, mm -hmm. Troy and Janelle, and uh, encourage those in our audience to to pray for Troy and Janelle, especially during this time. Yeah, and uh, and. That kind of all the news of that all broke as all this was happening, and, and it was interesting. Prior to that, I kind of had 
the desire to respond to different things. You know, people would like post things and I'd say, oh, want to say, okay, you know, and then, yeah. <laughs> and then kind of a, like a little dose of reality sets in that, okay, um, there are a lot bigger things in life to be worried about, to be concerned yep. about, to be prayerful about. Yep. And the phrase that keeps going through my mind is, is, am I doing the things right now that will matter 120 years from now? Right. Am I, are the, are the words that I'm saying to other people, are the interactions that I'm engaging with, like, like when someone tweets something or someone posts something or someone makes a comment, is my response um, gear, through the lens of, okay, this person is going to be in eternity somewhere right. 120 years from now. And what's interesting is, as we were talking about, it's like you go through some experiences like the one you described, it gives you a totally different perspective of life, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. It definitely gives you a total different perspective because then you put your priorities in order and you realize what really is important and what really matters. And sometimes we put so much energy into things that don't matter mm -hmm. and we lose our peace. We lose our joy. And it's like we're freely giving it away. And the Bible says he who keeps his mind stayed on me shall be in perfect peace. Well, when we get caught up in those arguments and in those entanglements with people about political debates and opinions, we're losing our peace. We're getting frustrated. <laughs> we're getting angry sometimes. But what is coming out of that? Mm. You know, is it fruitful? If, if your argument has encouraged someone to change positively or if it has invoked something as far as a law or something that could impact people in a positive way, then sure, let your voice be heard. But should you have to really use wisdom and discernment? And I feel like those of us who are believers and we're going to be Holy Spirit led, we have got to seek God for um, discernment mm -hmm. and his wisdom. You know, Lord, should I handle this? How, how should I approach this? Should I approach it at all? And if I do, you know, are my words with grace? You know, are they a representation of you? You know, how is my speech? You know, am I going to lose my witness or destroy my witness to people? Are they going to question me, you know, after how I responded to this? So I just have definitely just devoted my life to um, trying to stay fruitful, you know, making sure I see things that are taking root and growing and prospering yeah. in a good way. I don't want my good to be evil spoken of. And I know we're flesh and we're human and we don't always make the right decisions. But I have, you know, governed my life to seek the Lord as much as I can to do the best that I can to eliminate those type of situations. I mean, just recently I saw a post from a family member um, was it yesterday or the day before that really kind of bothered me. Um, I am biracial. Mm -hmm. And so um, I have family, African-American family, I have Caucasian family. And the um, post that I saw disturbed me because I felt like it was a racial comment. Mm. And I'm like, this is my relative. <laughs> and I wanted to respond. And but the way I would have responded probably would have I wouldn't have been disrespectful in any way, but I would have stated my opinion on that comment, but I had to really evaluate it. And I was like, I don't think he even sees it from the perspective that I'm coming from. So it's going to be pointless hmm. to, yeah, to comment yeah, right. on yeah. this chat. Yeah. You know, exactly. we need to sit yeah. down and talk to each other. 
Yes. You know, um, and so I just left it alone. And I said, God, help me because I could feel a part of me, you know, getting uneasy and a little angry um, because I was like, is this how you feel about me? Well, you know? there's some there's something about people that have walked through pain and walked through it well. Um, I, I think just because someone's gone through pain doesn't mean that they become more gracious. Like like you take someone who did not have God in their life, and I can only imagine their response to that doctor. Um, mm-hmm. um, I'm assuming they would have cussed him out. They would have been, you know, livid. Um, that's that's. Yep. I'm guessing that's where you would have been. That's definitely where I would have been if I would have felt mm-hmm. that way just in in my myself. And mm-hmm. and yet, you know, there is the grace of God in in all of that. And mm-hmm. um, you know, that's just yeah. It, it's it's such a it's such a powerful thing. Just kind of tying it back to that. I want to jump back. You know, so come, coming out of this, right? You talk about a time that you go to Atlanta. So. Uh, Noah and Christian both, right? They've, you know, they've gone to be with Jesus, and you have mm-hmm. a, a, a really defining moment, I would say, in your life in in Atlanta, mm-hmm. um, and that changed the course of really years to come. So, um, just kind of in a quick nutshell, describe that experience, and then how that led into you know, your founding Noah Christian Academy. Um, I actually had started Noah Christian Community Center prior before that experience. Um, but the school started afterwards and, um, I knew that I was supposed to be in Atlanta. I was watching the word network and I saw the threshing floor revival being promoted and advertised. And I, it's something just immediately drew me there and I said, I'm supposed to be there, but I was pregnant at the time with my third pregnancy. Actually it was my fourth pregnancy, but you'll have to read the book to find that out. But I, um, was pregnant at the time with my third pregnancy. And I was like, I can't go to that. You know, it'll be in April and I'll be like getting ready to deliver. I'll be like eight months pregnant. I'm going to be high risk. They're not going to let me travel. God, you know, is this me? Is it, is it you? Is it me? I really questioned it. So I just let it go. In January of 2006, I ended up miscarrying that baby. And, um, that was devastating. I think that hit us harder than no one Christian because I, yeah, because God had, I knew I was going to have a girl. And even before I had Noah, I knew it was going to be a girl. So when he was a boy, I chuckled and I was like, he's a boy. You know, when they did the um, the ultrasound to confirm mm-hmm. the sex and the same thing with Christian, I always saw myself with a girl and I could see her. And um, after Christian had passed, I had a supernatural experience. You know, some people say it's in your mind, but I know that it wasn't. Um, to where I was holding this child, like in the spirit per se. And it was like, God was letting me know she was there. And I also had a dream and I wrote about the dream in the book. And then my husband had had a dream too of this little girl. And so I knew I was having this girl. So when I was pregnant with that baby that we miscarried, I was like, this is my girl. This is my promise. You know, I'm so excited about it. And then when we miscarried, I was just like, God, am I crazy? You know, am I hearing you? You know, like, who am I hearing? You know, then I started wondering if, you know, I had some issues going on, you know, like maybe I'm, you know, hearing things. So um, I miscarried that child and I just kind of got really lost a lot of hope at that moment. But then um, something just as when the Holy Spirit has a purpose and a plan for your life, he is not going to let you fall. He is not going to let you stay down. 
And I'm so grateful for that. You know, the word says that, you know, even when we know not what to pray, that the spirit of the Lord makes intercession for us. And I just thank God for making intercession for me because he interceded and it was something in me said, you need to be at that at Atlanta for that threshing floor revival. So it was March of 2006 and we were like trying to find a room. And I'm like, we're not gonna be able to find a room. How are we gonna find a room? But if God wants us to be there, we will find a room. And sure enough, they had a cancellation. It was two hotel rooms. So my husband and I and two of the ministers from my church went there and we traveled. And I was like, what are we gonna do? Now that I'm here, God, what do you want me here for? Um, and it's about 50,000 people. I think the um, statistics, um, the research, if you Google it, I think this is about 55,000 people that showed up. And they're from all over the world. And we're here at the Georgia Dome in, at the, um, in Atlanta for this spiritual revival. And this couple calls us out. The first night you had all, were all white. And they come out, they just walk down. Like I never met them before, these strangers. And we're in worship. You know, my husband and I were standing there. He was actually in front of me in the row in the stands. And the man tapped me on my shoulder and he said, go get your husband. And I was like, huh? Okay, who are you? <laughs> so I tapped Byron on his shoulder and I was like, oh, they want to talk to us. And at that moment, when we got together, he immediately started to impart in our life and started to say things that only God could have spoken through him. He had never met us before. He was a complete stranger. And my husband literally broke down right there. And um, he handed some money to me, put some money in my hand. And he said, this is for the ministry that God is blessing you. He said, you're going to reach thousands. He said, and especially youth. And I had already started Noah Christian Community Center Incorporated. We had started it in 2005. So it had been a year. Mm -hmm. We started in March 05 and it had been a year in March when we in 06. And um, and this is April. And so his wife came to me and she said, um, I know you don't know us. She was like, but God is telling me to place my hands on your stomach and pray. She said, whatever has hindered you is going to be removed today. And she prayed. I let her because I'm like, at this moment, it's got to be you, God. And I immediately felt like a bolt of electricity hit my body. And I was out like I literally fell out. And um, I remember my two cousins, they were ministers that went with us and they said they were immediately, they saw me going and they thought, oh my gosh, she's gonna kill herself, she's gonna crack her head. You know, we're in these stands. And and I remember the one Shamika, she said, it almost looked as if something picked me up and gracefully laid me straight in between the um, seats. Um, when I woke up, um, they were standing there and they were still all praying and just worshiping, crying. And they introduced themselves to us as um, Reverend Daniel and Betsy Pena. I still have a relationship with them. Hmm. And the next month I found out I was pregnant with my daughter. Hmm. So um, God sent me there to meet that couple for whatever reason. I had prayed before I had Noah for God to increase my faith. And I had prayed and said, let my faith stand for others in their lack of faith. And my pastor just preached a few weeks ago how when you're praying for patience, you're gonna be tested with situations <laughs> with your patience is gonna be tested. You know, yeah, when you're yeah. praying for certain things. And so I pray for faith and that's what happened. It was like, God just kept putting me in these situations to see if I would trust him. If I would hear his voice, if my ear would be inclined to him, and it was. And we had my daughter promise. 
in 2007. She was that girl. So that's why her name is Promise. And when she was born, everybody, the doctors, the nurses, the um, students, because I was at UVA, my husband, my mom, my whole entire family and my husband's family that were there, even many traveled from out of town, were all crying. Hmm. But I wasn't because I had already cried. I had already shed my tears. I had already held her in the spirit. And so as soon as she was born, I just looked up and I said, thank you, Jesus. And I just smiled. And um, I knew that was, you know, his promise to me. And then I told my husband, you know, I'm a dreamer. I'm a visionary. I see things. And I told my husband, this was um, after Christian passed, he and I went to the beach and I saw I had a dream and I saw a restaurant and it said um, no L's. And then when you got inside of the restaurant, it had an area for kids, like a play zone. And it said Joshua's Corner. And then it said, welcome to the promised land. And I told him, he was like, what does that dream mean? I said, I think we're going to have a girl named Noelle and a boy named Joshua. <laughs> and it's like our promised land, you know, God's promise. Like I was telling him this in 2004. And um, my daughter's name is Noelle, Noelle Renee. But as the pregnancy started to go further and I had to move to Charlottesville, I did get a little anxious and I could just hear a voice say, remember my promise. And so I called my sister and I was like, I have to change the baby's name. And she was like, you better not. She's going to be named after me. And I was like, no, I'm just going to give her four names. It's going to be Promise Noelle Renee. And she was like, I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. And so um, uh, six years later, um, I found out I was pregnant with Joshua. And Joshua was born on Noah's birthday 10 years later. At that time, doctors had told me, you know, that I had gone through all tests that you could possibly think of for stillborn, stillbirth. They had tested my children's chromosomes. They had autopsy. Well, Chris, Noah didn't, but Christian did. They couldn't find anything to really pinpoint what happened to them. And so... Um, they thought I had a clotting disorder. You know, the question always did the clot form in with them due to death or did the clot cause death? So that was always the issue. And that's where the legal issue came up too. Um, there was an amended pathology report on NOAA. Um, so it was a lot of question there. So we didn't really have true answers. So um, UVA treated me with baby aspirin with promise. They said my levels weren't high enough to have heparin, but then after I had her, I almost bled to death. Mm -hmm. And there was another tragic incident. And I was like, God, surely you didn't let now. And you know, I pray for you to take me to a Christian. Don't take me now that you gave me the promise. Don't let, don't take me. And um, so when I had Joshua, the doctor was like, um, I don't believe any of those things are conclusive. And he said, I think you just need to get the babies out. You know, you're a small frame person. I think you need to just get the babies out. And um, that's what, you know, they did. They induced, they took promise at 37 weeks and Joshua at 36. And no one knew, the doctor did not know. This was a new physician. I never had him before. He did not know that that was going to be Noah's birthday. Um, he just told me prior to, he said, I'm planning to induce you on July the 8th. That's the calendar date. He said, you'll probably deliver and have the baby the next day. And I was like, that's Noah's birthday. And um, he was just like, no way. And at the time he told me, you know, him and a couple other physicians that I'd seen that maybe you just will never have a live boy. 
He was like, maybe it's you have bad excess and your chromosomes, you have problems. And, you know, they ran all these tests. And I was like, God said I was. Mm. And not only did God's, you know, um, word come to um, fruition in my life, but on Noah's birthday. So 10 years later, after the devastation of my first child dying, God blesses me with a son. Joshua. And it was like the day of the same day of your devastation was the day of your deliverance. Mm. Like God did so much. And and you read the book. So a lot of other things was happening in my family at that time. And yeah. God, Joshua, Joshua was the light of hope yeah. that we needed. And he was the yeah. miracle. So I always say promise was the promise, but Joshua was the miracle. You, how can you explain it? Yeah. yeah. How can you explain yeah. that? Tell me you who know, can do that better than God. Well, what's interesting is, is different people in our audience are from different backgrounds. And so, um, you know, I, I'm thinking of the person watching that they kind of would tend to believe more of the belief. Well, okay. Miracles like this, they, they really don't happen as much in today. And, and some of the uh, things you describe, well, I, I don't really know if that actually is of God or if that's because they're very skeptical. I've, mm-hmm. I've had some very specific experiences in my life where just undeniably, I don't, I, I haven't always known what to do with them at the time. And sometimes I still don't, but mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, undeniably, I, heard from God in this mm-hmm. time. And it sounds, you know, I, th- I think someone, uh, I think they were on The View, and, and uh, I think it was Joyce Bayer, she said, you know, something to the effect um, that, you know, she uh, she's okay. Um, I, I forget how she put this again, but she said something like, um, she, uh, it's one thing for uh, um, people to speak to God, but it's another people when Another thing, when people say that they've that God has spoken to sure. them, right? Mm-hmm. That, that 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 that's weird, and, and that by culture standards, that's very strange. Mm-hmm. And I guess my response to that line of thinking, though, is what separates the Christian faith. Yes, there's the historical reliability of of the gospel. There's different arguments for the existence of God, um, and those are all very important to me. And they, they help solidify my faith. But the importance of the the experience where to know that God is active in our lives, I think, is one of the greatest realities that I think is, is impossible to convey mm-hmm. in its fullest extent. Because when you know that God is working in your circumstances, that God is engaged in your life, that maybe something happens and you just know, okay, wait, that wasn't just chance. Like I I know that God, the God of the universe actually cares about me enough to speak Mm -hmm. to this area of my life. There's something that is so unique and is so powerful. And and as you describe, it's not like you can build like an entire theology based on that one experience, but it all it's, it solidifies, it solidifies that. Okay. I, I, I know that despite what I'm going through, God is with me and like God is for me and mm-hmm. I can face it. And that's just, that's, yep. that's so, so powerful. So powerful. It's definitely powerful. And that's how I've made it through so far, you know, and that's even how I started my school, you know, stepping out on faith. If God has blessed me and given me the strength to do these things, he put this vision in my heart. And since I was a little girl, I wanted to have a school. So it wasn't something that just sparked from the death of my kids. I always wanted to have a school. When I went on my interview to be a teacher, I talked about having a school 
And my principal even stated that was one of the reasons she hired me because she saw the diligence within me and the passion. And she was like, oh, she's going to be good. And so I used to walk the hallways and I would tell the teachers, I'm not going to be here long because one day I'm going to have my own school. And so it wasn't like it was just something that just happened out of grief. But then when my kids died, I knew that was something that I needed to do to push forward, even for me to, you know, have purpose. I decided Purposeful Living was going to be my mission, you know. And so I prayed about it. I went on a fast for several um, months. I went back and forth. And I told my husband, I said, I think we got to start Noah Christian Community Center. You know, we got to help these lower income families. I was teaching. God had put me in a school. I didn't even want to be there at the time. I was like, oh, my goodness, like this is a challenge for me. He had put me in one of the, the, the second worst ranked elementary schools in the Roanoke Valley. And I flourished there. I fell in love with those children. And I saw the inequities that they were facing and the lack of resources. And I guess just the compassion and the type of person that I am, I was able to share the incarnational love of God, which was making changes in their lives while I was in a public in the public school. And so I just took that. And and actually, when I was pregnant with Christian, I wrote about it in the book. And when I took that leave of absence, if you know me, I'm a person who likes to be productive with time. And so I started writing a book that was describing the center. And I was pregnant with Christian. I didn't know he was going to die. I, I didn't want him, you know. And so I was writing a book about the center and the school. And then Christian passed. So it just goes to show, you know, God goes before us. He knows if we're in tune with him and incline with him and you follow that, what you feel, that gut feeling, that's the Holy Spirit leading you and guiding you and that intuitiveness that we have. And, you know, he's just been evident in my life. And like you said, I've had more experiences with him outside of my children. If you go to my YouTube channel um, a few years ago, I think it was in 2017, I did, um, or 2018, I did 12 days of testifying to God's goodness. The Holy Spirit led me to do it. And I gave 12 testimonies. And most of them are supernatural experiences I've had in my life (laughs) that you cannot say was coincidence. You just can't say, you know, one or two. Oh, but when I'm going on and, and, you know, people like God has definitely, you know, people have that I've met said it's evident that God has been with you. And I'm like, right. And if God is with me, he's with you. And so, um, you know, you just have to get to know him like I do. And, and like I said, that was my prayer to let my faith stand for others. So many have come to Christ from that, from my faith, from my testimonies. Many lives have changed. Hundreds of children's lives have changed. And so if I was to die today, I would hope that my legacy would, you know, be that I was a person of great faith, you know, a person of compassion and empathy, a person who had a faith that didn't quit, you know, a person who praised and worshiped God and was uh, a person of service and about kingdom building and that when I, you know, that that would continue to live on in the people whose lives I've touched. So that's what I focus on. Like, what would I leave? What is my legacy? You know, what, what is people saying about me in a conversation? You know, what, what am I bringing to their life that could be impactful? What am I doing for the kingdom? You know, faith, that, you, you, you mentioned yeah. faith. I think that's, that's such a key is, is that what, it, when it comes right down to it for me, I know, making this switch in my brain several years ago, growing up in a theological framework, thinking, okay, well, I should, you know, I want to be around people that think this way. And, and, and gradually that shifted where I just thought, you know, 
I want to be around people of great faith. I don't necessarily, I mean, how how they think theologically is important to me, but I want people that have great faith. And mm-hmm. so sometimes this is meant that I'm around people that think very differently than me on, on numbers of things, but I can tell that there's a closeness to God that they experience, and that to me is more important than their different theological persuasions of, of what they might hold on, on this or that that issue. And so just, just to close this out, um, mm-hmm. speak to the person right now, they're listening, watching to this, and they're going through a pretty dark season, maybe suffered the loss of a child as you did, or, or just a season that feels pretty hopeless. Um, in a minute here, give us give us some words of hope. Um, I just want to let you know if you are broken, you know that the Bible says that God draws nigh to those with a broken heart and a contrite spirit. It also says that his eyes are upon the righteous and his ear is open to our cry. So just know that you are not alone, that God is there. He said he will never leave us nor forsake us. Sometimes you may feel like you're by yourself and the devil wants us to feel isolated. He wants to separate us from God, but we have to know and understand that God loves us. He's a gracious God and he's a comforter. And the same way he's comforted me, I know that he can um, love and comfort you. King David said it best when he said he turned my mourning into dancing. And I stand as a testimony that he did that. I was mourning. I was mourning. I was crying. I was in a place of desolation. And even though I was still praising God, my spirit was still in a dark, dark place. But I praised my way out and I continue to focus on God's word. And, you know, the word says, they who sow in tears shall reap in joy. God is storing up your tears. And sometimes our pain can birth purpose. Our pain can um, change other people's lives. It's not always about us. The word says for everything, there's a time and a season. What I went through, that pain that I went through has drawn me closer to God. It's drawn my family members closer to God because of my faith. Um, It's drawn people who are connected to me closer to God. It has helped impact the lives of hundreds of children. My children are not hurting. They are in glory with their creator. And there's so many here on earth who are hurting. And so my story, my testimony, my faith has allowed that pain and hurt to have purpose. And I just believe in every valley there is purpose. In your pain, there is purpose. But you have to seek God. And, and be able to see past the pain to know that he can encourage you and he can lift you up. And I promise you, you will survive. I'm still here. I didn't think it, you know, I felt like I wasn't, but you will. You know, you will survive. You will make it through. Thank you for that. Where can people find you online? I know you just launched a new website. Yes, I launched my site today. It actually, my cousin, he launched it, I think it was a week ago, but I was like, I'm gonna wait, I'm gonna wait, I'm gonna wait. But um, Sharnika P. Elliott dot com, C-H-A-R-N-I-K-A-P-Elliott um, dot com. And also Noah, N-O-A-H hyphen Christian Academy dot org. You can learn about our school. Um, we offer uh, tuition assistance to lower income families, but we have a very diverse enrollment. We have, um, you know, people of all walks of life and all um, ethnicities and social statuses that attend our school. And it is a blessing. So you want to support, you know, we can always use support too. Um, But just go out there, reach out. If you're someone who suffered a loss, reach out to me. I love to, you know, talk to you and bless you. 
um, with the book. You can also get the Kindle version on Amazon.com, Silence of the Womb, from Pain to a Promise. Such as I did. So thank you, Sharnika. Thank you for coming on. Thank you for having me. Well, I enjoyed that a lot. I, I hope you did too. And uh, let me just mention a couple things real quickly, just in closing. Uh, this coming year, now 2021, um, we're going to be switching up the podcast in the way that we have traditionally done it in the past. Usually it's just me interviewing guests on a variety of different topics. But I wanted to switch that up, kind of going into this new season, and bring on a co-host. And his name's David Harkoff. And we've been friends together for a number of years. We have similar life experiences where both of us are pursuing our PhDs and just kind of at a similar point in life in a lot of respects. And so we think a lot alike. And I thought, man, it would be great to have another voice on this podcast, uh, interacting and uh, hopefully adding a contribution that maybe I can add and adding a voice that I can't share. I'll have more on this later. And we'll do a whole episode kind of to set up why uh, he's coming on board and uh, but I, I think this is just something that I know personally I'm looking forward to anyway uh, that does it for this week's edition of the Monday Christian podcast thanks for taking a listen I'll talk to you all again soon you've been listening to the Monday Christian podcast the program that helps you put into action the truth of God's word that you hear on Sunday to your everyday life on Monday For more info on this program, simply visit our website, themondaychristian.com. That's themondaychristian.com. 